Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Produce North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone, to our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. This is Michael Hatton in Jerusalem. Last time, as you recall, we read about the dramatic events surrounding the downfall of the house of Shaul, of Ner ben Ner, assassinated by Yoav, Ishboshet, assassinated by his officers. Neither of these bloody events coming at the command of David, but both of them very much making his journey to the throne that much easier. And this is a theme in David's story, the hand of God, as it were, the intervention that propels him forward, even as the obstacles are removed without David actively taking a role in removing them. And in fact, David's conduct, both with respect to Avner as well as with respect to Ishbosheth, is nothing but noble. And so chapter four ended. Effectively, the house of Shaul has now come to an end and David is ready to assume the throne over the entire people of Israel. And with that, chapter five begins. So our first four chapters of the second book of Samuel, we might call them, offering the most general possible description, David consolidates his power. Now with chapter five, continuing through chapter six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, we will see David in his glory as the undisputed king of the tribes of Israel. So for the next few chapters, we will be basking in the exploits of David at his most noble and most triumphant. The tribes approach David in Hebron and they say to him, you are our bone and our flesh. Even as Shaul was king upon us, you are the one who brought us into battle and brought us home safely. And God had indicated that you would shepherd the people Israel. And now the elders approach David in Hebron and they come to a covenant to make David king. David is anointed as king over all of Israel. So this is an incredibly important moment. This is really the first time in biblical history since the people have entered the land that a unity has been crafted. We will soon see how tenuous that unity is. All of the tribes have come to agree that David should be king over them. And the text says, David was 30, year, 30 years old when he became king in verse number four, and he, his reign lasted for 40 years. So a couple of things to note here. First of all, when we first met David back in chapter 16 of the verse book of Samuel, he was just a lad, even though his age wasn't reported. When he faced down Goliath in chapter 17, he was just a lad, a young man. Now he is 30 years old. 
which means that at least a decade, if not more, has elapsed since we first met him. And obviously for most of that time, as we have been discussing, David was either a fugitive or a king who was not recognized by all of the tribes as being legitimate. It has been a very long journey, but David never lost sight of the goal and never lost trust in God that in fact he would be king. So the text now tells us the formula. He was 30 years old when he became king and his reign lasted for 40 years, which is of course an ideal number in the Hebrew Bible. He reigned in Hebron for seven years and six months and in Jerusalem for 30 three years over all of Israel and Yehuda, and often in the biblical text, the implied division, the rift, the most ancient rift in Israel is between Yehuda on the one hand and what's called Yisrael on the other. We might call it the house of Rachel and the house of Leah, where Rachel is associated with Joseph, Ephraim Menashe, that is, and Benjamin, and Leah with the other tribes, but especially with Yehuda. And this ancient rivalry is never entirely overcome, but for the first time, the tribes are now united as one to make David king. And the first thing that David does as king over all of Israel is to conquer Jerusalem from the Jebusites who dwell there and to proclaim it as his capital. This will become one of the most pivotal events in the Hebrew Bible. One might say in Jewish history, the Jewish love affair with Jerusalem begins with David. David is the one who makes Jerusalem his capital, the capital of the tribes of Israel. David is the one who will turn Jerusalem into the spiritual center, political center, and cultural center of ancient Israel, and it has remained there ever since for the last 3,000 years, even as we have been exiled from it. At this time, Jerusalem is held by a Canaanite tribe called the Jebusites. It is an enclave that has never been conquered by any tribe, and this is incredibly important because David is determined to make Jerusalem his capital precisely because it does not belong to any tribal territory as of yet. And even more so, if we look at a map, we discover that Jerusalem sits precisely on the fault line between Benjamin to the north, called that Shaul's tribe, and the house of Joseph that continues northward, and Judah, Yehuda, to the south. In other words, David is very careful to choose a capital which can serve as the place of reconciliation between the house of Shaul, between the house of David, between the house of Rachel, between the house of Leah, between the tribes of Israel, none of whom have ever settled it. It's not unlike a Washington DC kind of idea. David, politically at least, 
is interested in exactly the same thing, which is to draw the tribes together around a capital that all of them can refer to as belonging to them. But the Jebusites in Jerusalem are entrenched. They say to David, there is no way you will conquer this territory. Even if it were to be defended by the blind and the lame, you would not succeed in conquering it. But David does. He utters a challenge to his men. Verse number eight. On that day, David said, whoever strikes down the Jebusites and touches the tzinor, a Hebrew word, perhaps related to water or a water channel, whoever overcomes the lame and the blind who hate David, that person will in fact become my chief of staff. The text does not report in our version of the story who the one is that leads the charge. In the Chronicles version of the story, it actually turns out to be none other than Yoav, who just a couple of chapters earlier murdered Avner in cold blood. Perhaps our version leaves Yoav's name out. Yoav is a complicated character. He will often act impulsively. He will do things that are uh, heroic exploits, and often they will come at a cost of not submitting to David's command. So perhaps there is a, a slight feeling of upsetness about, of, uh, about uh, Yoav's earlier behavior, and that's why his name is left out. In any case, David conquers Jerusalem, and there he dwells in what's called the Mitzudah. He now calls the city the city of David, Ir David, and begins to build it up as his capital. The text reports, David became greater and greater, and God, the Lord of hosts, was with him. So this is absolutely a turning point in the story of David's reign. It is a turning point in the story of the Jewish people. Jerusalem will now loom large in the consciousness of the people of Israel as a place of reconciliation, as a place of unity, and as a center politically, religiously, and culturally. Hiram, the king of Tyre, sends messages to David. Cedarwood, craftsmen of wood, and stonecutters, and they build a palace for David. For those of you that are following the archaeological developments in the state of Israel, currently there is an awful lot of work being done in the city of David an awful lot of discussion among archaeologists whether what is being uncovered represents an expression of David's kingdom or perhaps David's empire. And that's a story in its own right for those that are interested in pursuing that further. In any case, we now hear about an important alliance being forged really at the initiative of the king of Tyre. Sor, on, currently on the Lebanese coast, was an important Phoenician city, a trading city, a mercantile city, and the king of Tyre now recognizes the ascent of David 
as the king of Israel and offers an alliance, a trade alliance, providing cedar wood, a precious commodity in the ancient Near East because of its use in monumental building, providing cedar wood, providing craftsmen, providing stone cutters, and now making David a palace in the city of David. By the way, another word for Jerusalem or another name for Jerusalem, which is indicated here, is called Zion. David had conquered the fortress of Zion, and Zion ultimately will be the source of Zionism. Zion literally either has to do with a landmark, a Zion, or perhaps Sia, which refers to dry land. Jerusalem actually sits on the watershed, on the ridge of the hill country. The storm clouds that blow in from the Mediterranean drop their, their rain on the western slope of the hill country. And by the time one goes to the eastern slope of the hill country and descends into the Judean desert and into the Jordan Valley, it is dry, it is hot, and it is desert-like. So Jerusalem sits on the watershed. You might say in terms of the climate, Jerusalem sits on the watershed, figuratively, between the tribes of Israel, between Judah to the south and Benjamin to the north, and therefore, in every respect, it is well located in order to serve as the magnet that will bring the people of Israel together. So David now is the king undisputed. David now has fashioned or is in the process of creating a capital city that will unify all of the tribes. David now is being approached by powerful foreign kings who are interested in forging an alliance with him. And the text reports, David takes more concubines and more wives when he arrives in Jerusalem. After having left Hebron behind, and he has many more sons and daughters. And this is the list which is indicated. Shamua Shovav, Natan Shilomo, Yivchar Elishua, Nefeg Yafia, Elishama, Eliada, Elifalet. There's only one name on that list that's going to become very important for David's story, and that's actually Shilomo. We note, of course, that this group of sons is born later and presumably is lower on the succession list than the list that was reported at the beginning of chapter three. And it is provided here for us in order for the name Shlomo to begin to stand out. Ultimately, we'll have to see how that story develops, but it will not actually unfold until the beginning of the book of Kings. There is only one more obstacle remaining. We haven't heard from them in a while, but they have not disappeared. And that is, of course, the Philistines. The Philistines here that David has been anointed king over Israel, and they now march against him. David hears of their impending attack, and he goes down to the Mitzudah, this fortified area in his capital, the Philistines come and they spread out, preparing to attack in the valley of Rephaim, 
what is called Emek Rifaim. Those of you that have visited Jerusalem perhaps have walked along the very, very fashionable coffee shops on Emek Rifaim, which is a Jerusalem street, but actually Emek Rifaim in ancient times and today as well, is a valley that runs from the west to the east, really from the Mediterranean coast, all the way till the old city of Jerusalem. And that's in fact where the Philistines now prepare to attack because after all, they are a coastal people. They come from the west. They intend to attack David at Jerusalem. David meets them in the Valley of Rephaim and they are defeated soundly by him. But they do not give up. They once again approach, intending to attack David in Amek Rephaim, and this time God advises him when to counterattack, and at that precise moment, David does so, and the Philistines are struck down from Geva until Gezer. This will begin, this will begin the process of the Philistine yoke being lifted off of the neck of the tribes of Israel, what Shaul never succeeded in accomplishing, David now does or begins the process of doing. And from this point onwards, Philistine power will be in decline and Israelite power will be in ascent. So really in short order, David has become king, David has designated a capital. David has united the tribes of Israel. David has secured the realm by defeating this overwhelming enemy known as the Philistines. And as I said, these chapters will only continue to describe David in the most glorious terms as he now begins his reign as the king of Israel. So if we think of David, and we remember him fondly, and we long for a return, quote-unquote, to the days of glory associated with his kingdom, that vision, which ultimately becomes a messianic vision, is very much based upon the chapters that we are reading right now from chapter 5 through chapter 10, as we will see. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.